Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host Zoe Blasky. I hope you are really well this week. I am really excited to have my friend now, a former guest and now my friend Anna Matha back on the podcast. I am sure many of you know Anna. She is a psychotherapist, she is a mum of three and she has an incredible new book out called Mind Over Mother, Everyone's Guide to Worry and Anxiety in the First Year. It is a brilliant book. It's a brilliant book however old your children are you know, not just for the first year is what I would say, because although I am in the first year with Rose, if I wasn't, I would have found it just as relevant. So I hope that you have found the book and I would really recommend it too. I loved chatting with Anna. Her and I are so aligned in terms of our passions and our beliefs. And, you know, as you'll hear in the episode, we have many, many shared experiences from our own childhoods growing up. So we talk about that. We talk about where this idea of not being enough comes from and how to start to unpeel those layers of not enoughness to get to the core truth, which is that we are all enough regardless of what we do or don't do achieve or don't achieve. I find this episode really inspiring. Anna's way with words is incredible. I've never known anyone able to put visuals and ideas around these psychological kind of concepts in a way that Anna does. It makes it so accessible and interesting and fun, you know, whilst talking about some really deep and painful things, actually. So I hope that you love the episode as ever. Please do share it. If you're listening to it thinking, ah, my friend would love this, just copy the link and put it in a WhatsApp or an email or a text please do help me share the wisdom of the guests that we have on the podcast. Here is the episode. Anna, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me back again. You were my first one, you know, Zoe. Mother was my first podcast. And look at you now. (laughs) (laughs) Done a few more since then, but it's just so good to be back. It's like coming home. Oh, well, you know how much I love you and I don't only love, you know, what you say. I love how you say it. I love your energy. You are one of the kindest people on Instagram. And I know you get called that a lot, but it really is true. And I've witnessed that myself. You know, when I've been having wobbles, you've reached out to me and supported me with everything I've ever done. So thank you. I could say exactly the same for you. Exactly the same. Well, I was just reflecting, like when you came on, I think it was only a year and a half ago, you were, I think maybe had sort of, 20,000 followers or something called Mama's Scrapbook. Oh gosh, yeah. (laughs) It's funny how things change because I started Instagram as an interior design account to get inspiration for uh, the house and then you just go where you grow. 
you just go with it and follow it. It's very interesting to see where these things end up. So I'm not yeah. bad scrapbook anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, you've got this incredible book out, Mind Over Mother, that is a Sunday Times bestseller. Yeah, it was a surprise, but I'm so pleased that it's in people's hands now. How does it feel? Because I think so often people can look at someone like you. I know I do. And think, gosh, to have all that success, because you have had a lot of success. Do you feel any differently in yourself? Like, do you feel like, okay, now I've got that validation? Or do you feel the same, but just with maybe more work to do? (laughs) Do you know what? I haven't spoken about this that much, but on the day that it was published, I spent so much of the day in tears but not in happy tears. It was this deep discomfort. I found it so excruciating to be on the receiving end of all of this kindness. And I just felt, I felt really sad about that. So I was like, I have worked so hard over the years on my self-worth. I have worked so hard to get to a place where I believe that I'm worthy of love and good things. But I think because it just felt like such a barrage in that day of thanks, of praise that it just kind of reached down to the very core of the depths of the unhealed parts of me and it just felt overwhelming and Taryn has so sweetly collected together some videos of friends and family saying congratulations and he said I've got a video for you to watch and I was like I just can't I can't watch it I can't watch people say nice things about me and it just kind of it all felt very raw that day and I just think it's because of the enormity of what that meant, having that book out there, knowing it was in people's hands, knowing that people liked it. I don't know. It was just so challenging and it was so uncomfortable. And I just felt like, what about all that work that I've done? But really, it just shows that we're always a work in progress. But also how far I've come. I used to feel that rawness, that discomfort on a daily basis people said nice things and now people say nice things and I think the challenge that day is that they weren't just saying nice things about my words which feel like a job to me they're very personal they come from the heart but I'm also a professional so I can kind of distance myself a little bit they were saying nice things about me and I wanted to be like no look at the book don't look at me I don't want people to think I'm I'm wonderful because I'm a mixture of so many different things and I don't want to be put on a pedestal because there's further to fall. I'm as, <laughs> I'm as a work in progress as everyone else. I just like writing it down. That's all. So it was a funny day. It's so honest of you to share that. And I, you know, I really relate. I really relate. You know, I remember my first experience of that was when I did a 50th episode of the podcast. It was the first time that I'd ever really shared my story. And I got nothing like I'm sure you got, but I got, you know, a few messages in my DMs of people kind of saying they're related and thank you. And I couldn't read them. I really relate to that. I just couldn't. It just felt, it felt too much. Where do you think that comes from, that kind of core of low self-worth? It just comes from that deep sense of unworthiness. I think in an ideal world, we grow up feeling, being made to feel worthy, being made to feel like all emotions are acceptable, even if they're confusing and conflicting. And parents, they take them from us, they contain them, they're not overwhelmed by them, they process them and give them back, almost like a little bird. You know, when the mummy bird regurgitates the food back to them, you know, it's that you're not too big for me. You know, your emotions aren't too big for me. And I think 
for so many of us, when we've been through stuff in childhood and we grow up believing that we need to be neat, we need to be good, we need to be pleasing. And so much of what I've had to go through over the last number of years, because actually that is so stifling of my wants, feelings, needs, opinions, so much gets denied in that, that you get denied along with it. So just like, you know, your amazing podcast with Glennon Doyle and I immerse myself in her words. And I so believe that actually we're called to go on a journey of growth that is actually an undoing. And that's what I've had to do in the last number of years. And what I hope my words do with other people is help them strip off what the world has taught them, what well-meaning family often have taught them is that they have to be something more, you know, and I think our sense of worth is often in that I need to do more, be more than what I am. So therefore, when we have that belief system, we're saying that us in our very essence and our very core is not good enough. So I think from my childhood, I've wanted to be neat. There was grief and there was difficult kind of relationship dynamics and I didn't want to add to anything. I didn't want to be another burden. I didn't want to be chaos. So I was neat and tidy and I felt ultimately underneath it all unworthy of love because I didn't feel it maybe from someone that I was hoping for it from. And so I think often that's where that sense comes from. And it's not us. It's something that's been added along the way. Yeah, I so relate. And, you know, you're like me. We've both got little girls, Florence and um, and my Rose. And, you know, and I look at Rose and she's nearly six months now, if you can believe it. Um, I know. And I look at her and I just think, you know, we come to this world with such an innate sense of enoughness. You know, she does not worry about making her needs known. She screams until someone meets her needs. And it's so powerful to me to look back at as you're explaining you know the layers that got put on that kind of took that away from me and it sounds like took that away from you you know that just innate ability to know that we're enough and to ask for our needs to be met and to take in all the love you know Rose doesn't get overwhelmed when she's just showered with kisses and love whereas we can be I think when I first met my husband 15 years ago I found his love his attention just intolerable at times so much so that I tried to wreck it and break it and show him quite how unworthy I was because my understanding of my worth and what he saw I felt like an imposter in every relationship that I was in that was good because I always had that sense of you do know really that I'm not worthy of your love you will find out at some point so it might be better if I just break it now and show you now and quicker fast track this The biggest change in my life, I think, has been growing to accept more of that kindness and that love. And I think that's why that launch publication day was so hard and so sad for me, because I was like, I've worked so much on this. But, you know, we just discover new depths of ourselves. And also that, you know, the amount of intensity of one day of that much coming at you, you that's almost like the hyperbole, isn't it? That's like right at the extreme end. So I suppose it's not surprising that that got shown to you and I'm the same you know I'm so the same we're all such a work in progress aren't we just unfolding and I wanted to ask you you know this idea of you know I had that same core belief that at my core there was something unlovable about me and I remember that was the reason that I really resisted therapy for a long time in my kind of teens when I probably really needed it was because I thought that if I started to open that box 
I would find the truth, which that I was unworthy and there was something wrong with me. You know, little did I know I would find the absolute opposite and there was nothing wrong with me and I was totally worthy. Is that something that you hear quite a lot? And did you experience that when you first yeah. started to peel these layers? Oh, I was terrified of showing myself. I was actually scared of being seen. My therapist now, who I've had on and off for the last 10 years, she sometimes recalls the first times I sat in her room and I didn't even want to drink the water on offer because I just, I was so contained. I was so scared that I would be seen. And I think when I do coaching sessions with people, when I do therapy, I often end up challenging them. We are all worth one point. I'm worth one point. You are worth one point. My little girl, my boys, my husband, everyone, even the man on death row is worth one point. And somewhere along the way, that understanding has been changed, but that truth has never been changed. And I can think even if I could sit down with the man on death row and hear of all the horrendous things he's done, when you peel it back, it will often go back to the fact that that understanding of that worth has been so covered and compromised and challenged and lied about and the actions you know a lot of our own destructive actions towards ourselves or other people come out of that defective understanding of our worth and I think also this is it with the nice comments that I get in my inbox they're so lovely but actually they don't add to me they don't make me a better person just as it's I need to get to that place with the criticism the criticism doesn't take away from me just as the kind things don't add and I think it's in a way it's actually a good place to be that you're not heavily impacted by the kind words because there have been so many times in my life that I've hungered for that because my own understanding of my work is so low I've needed affirmation I've needed verbal confirmation I've needed to please people because those external things tell of a worth that I don't believe I have so it's both uncomfortable but also an insatiable hunger so I want to be at a place where a criticism or a bit of negative feedback impacts me just as little as a bit of praise. Like they don't take or add. Sometimes it's insightful, sometimes it's kind, but they don't make me a, a better person or a worse person. It's not because, something that can be changed. Because the challenge, I've lived from that place. We're so similar, it's so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I, I've lived from that place and it's like living on a roller coaster. Because sometimes you might get that validation and I'd be like, okay, I'm all right. You know, I had a good review at work, whatever. I'm okay, I'm okay. And then a friend would ditch me or a boyfriend dump me and I'd go right down into, you know, a deep depression. I'm not okay. There's something wrong with me. It's like living on this unreliable because other people are pretty unreliable with their praise. You know, it's like living on this crazy roller coaster. It was horrific to live that way when I had, as you're describing, no sense of my own worth. You know, you think about a boat that isn't anchored, it just gets tossed around by the waves and there's a vulnerability in there, isn't there? And you feel it's a lot of power to give away to people to dictate what you're worth. And I'm even thinking about the way that people look at me in the street. You know, before I have read so far into that, that it has had my self-esteem plummeting because I've assumed that they've ignored me or they've looked at me in disdain or judgment or, you know, I fill in the gaps. We fill in the gaps, don't we? And we fill in the gaps with stories to the tune of how we feel. Those are the lenses that we look through and the way that we experience the world. So if we feel rubbish, we don't like to be wrong. I don't like to be wrong about myself. I like to think that I know myself the best. So if I believe I'm rubbish, I'm going to be looking for proof of that. 
Yeah. You know, I think that was a real turning point for me. You know, what I focused on got bigger. And if I kept focusing on what piece of shit I was, I was going to find that evidence everywhere. Whereas conversely, you know, now I choose to focus on what's good about me in my life and I find it everywhere. It's so interesting. And I sometimes can get quite fired up about why we're not taught any of this when we were younger at school. And I can get a bit ranty. Um, I don't know if you've seen this. I get ranty about that as well. I'll get ranty about that. Why are we taught so much useless stuff at school and we're not taught the basics of the power of our mind, of mindfulness, of the basis of self-esteem, of how to navigate relationships? But you know what? We're learning that now. Like everyone that is listening to your podcast, everyone mm-hmm. that follows the content, the words that you put out, we're learning it as parents because we're saying, you know what? I'm seeing the impact of often very well-meaning parenting. I'm yeah. seeing that impact in my life now and I, I want to stop, I want to cut off that generational. Yeah, that's what I get really passionate about. How are you doing that with your three? Other than, you know, living it, which you are, and I see you doing day in, day out. So I was thinking about this yesterday, talking with Taryn, because we've been talking about how we discipline our middle child who's very fiery and emotional. And I think this intense time of lockdown where we've all been at home, I've realised that my, realised again, I guess, that my one job as a mum, my one job is to be an anchor for them. My one job is to manage my own emotions so that I can manage my emotional responses to them so that I can let them be that little boat in the storm being tossed around. And I am the one that is helping them make sense of their emotions. But if I'm not looking after myself, how can I do that? I cannot. If I'm tired from a bad night's sleep and I've gone to bed too late, I'm irritable. I find it harder to parent in a way that I want to and it's hard and it takes up a huge amount of energy in the face of one of my kids you know wailing and shouting and tantruming to be that still see that they can return to it is really hard but I've realized that is my job and I have to do what I can to look after myself to enable myself to do that yeah and that means making myself number one and I think we've learned that what love is is giving ourselves away completely until there's nothing left and the more we love the more we give in friendships and relationships it's sacrificial but actually the most sacrificial thing is is putting myself first yeah and I got some backlash you know I talked about this once and I said you know I come before my kids and I got so much criticism people saying how can you say that and I was like the reason I can say that is because I was raised by a martyr. I know what it feels like to watch someone flog themselves and not be present and be in their pain in the name of love. And I know the impact on that for me. And when you've experienced that, I think it makes it, for me, it makes it easier to know. You know, I cannot hold space, like you're saying, unless I can hold space for myself. I can't do it for anyone else unless I can do it for myself. And that means seeing what you need, knowing what you need, even getting to grips with the language of what your needs are. Because I think, you know, in pretty much all of the coaching sessions I do with mums, I say, what do you need? And they do not know. Yeah, they same. do not know because they do not ask themselves because we're so, we're so fixated on the needs of our children. They're hungry, they're angry, they're lonely, they're tired, they need an early nap, you know, but we don't even ask ourselves because we've culturally, I think, had it drummed into us that love is that constant gazing at the other person, that constant fulfillment of their needs. When actually, if I am resentful, 
tired, hungry. I cannot meet their needs as well. I cannot be that anchor in their little emotional storms in the way that I want to. And you know what? I've, I've also been saying something a bit controversial that's been getting some interesting feedback. And I'm saying to once, you know why you don't feel enough? Because you're not. Because you were never meant to be enough, have enough resources to fulfill the roles that you were trying to fulfill, to the standards that you're trying to fulfill them, with the resources that you have as an individual human person. We don't feel enough often because we are trying to do too much, too high, without refilling and refueling the very engine that is needed to do this. So we are defeated. We feel rubbish. We feel like failures. But we were never meant to. We were never meant to reach that bar that we place because it's not possible. It's not sustainable. It's mm. not healthy. So much gets lost in that process. I think what's so fascinating is I know I set that bar so high for myself in my life because my esteem was so low. It's all yeah. so interrelated, isn't it? It is. If I do more, then maybe I can rest. It's that earning, isn't it? It's that if we don't believe we have it all along, we've got to earn it. And it's normally by doing and achieving and pleasing. And it's, it, what, what, mod- what modelling did you get around this? Was your mum good at looking after herself? No, my lovely mum, my lovely, amazing mum. No, she lives to look after others. And that is what was all for her, my nana, who would never, we really ever saw sitting down. You know, and she, my mum's the therapist also too now, so this is something she's always working on. And I think she feels so delighted to see that I am working on it too. But yeah, my mum feels the same. It's so amazing. My mum says to me, she's like, you know, our home was like a show home growing up. She said, I don't really believe in regrets, so, but I wish I'd have not cared about how tidy the house was and I wish I'd have just sat with you and read more. And it made us both cry. And I was like, oh, mum, you were incredible, you know. And I actually wrote her a really long thank you letter last year, like 30 pages, thanking her for every single thing she'd ever done for me. Wow. How affirming that must have been for her. I think we carry so much guilt. She said she collapsed to the floor. because she realized she had been holding the guilt you know because she had some big challenges you know in my later life in my late teens and she said she'd been holding so much guilt about that you see I think this is the thing with guilt and there is we all feel guilt and mum guilt was kind of almost laughed about isn't it yeah people say oh you push your baby out and you push the guilt out I don't think so why do we have to feel guilty do you know what guilt is never there to shame us we let guilt shame us And it's there to prompt us, not to shame us, because when we let guilt shame us, we end up feeling, well, our internal dialogue gets more critical. We end up kind of self-sabotaging a bit more. The self-care goes down because we're basically trying to punish ourselves for something. I think so much of the guilt we carry is completely unjustified. It's around circumstances. It's not around fault. And if it happened to someone else, you would most definitely be saying to them, oh, my goodness, that isn't your fault. That is not your fault. But then also sometimes the guilt is there because it's there to prompt us to take action. Like if I'm faffing around on my phone the whole time using that as a, an escapism, which it often is for me, around my kids, and I get that sense of guilt. And what do I do? Do I either let that guilt just shame me? You're a, you're a rubbish mom. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. Or do I just take that, look at it, and I think, well, what's this feeling telling me? It's telling me that maybe Anna potentially look at your boundaries, put your phone down, pick up a book. So then I can let it prompt me and I act on it or we just carry it around as this kind of 
heavy block in our stomach that is just constantly pointing the finger of failure and it just feeds into all of that low self-worth so I developed this little thing for myself and it was act it's when you feel guilty address it hold it in your hand look at it what is it what are you actually feeling guilty about then bring in some compassion because regardless of what it is there's a reason we're reaching for that there's a reason we're avoiding that there's a reason we've responded in that way and it often comes out of something that deserves compassion and then T, tweak something, whether it's speaking it through with someone, whether it's putting the phone down, whether it's picking up the phone to someone else, whether, you know, whatever it is, just use that sense of guilt, not to shame you, but just to prompt you. And compassion always has got to be involved in that. And that's what lacks, actually. I love the work you've done around this, because I think we need more voices like yours saying it's not OK to laugh about motherhood being about guilt and gin. And I can get really ranty about this as well because we've accepted these kind of things. It's like, oh yeah, you're going to feel guilty and you're going to need to drink. It's yeah. like, what in what world is that yeah. okay for us? And what are we yeah. modelling? We normalise these defective coping strategies and often guilt is a defective coping mechanism because it's familiar to us. It allows us to continue cycles of shaming ourselves. It kind of justifies our critical internal dialogue. If I was to turn around to a mum and say, you know, what, all of that thing that you feel guilty about, all of that stuff that you think you've done, you're off the hook. That would have to challenge and change so many ingrained thought processes and even the relationships that we have in our lives, that we have that little voice in the background of like, well, if only you knew. You know, and it drives a wedge, doesn't it? When we start letting ourselves off the hook for things that were never our fault or we start allowing ourselves to see where we need to tweak things rather than bully ourselves for it it shifts the foundations on which we our whole internal worlds are built upon it's big you know it changes stuff and actually sometimes it's just easier to carry on drinking the gin and shaming ourselves because that's our habit yeah well we attract what we know isn't it familiar yeah exactly it's what so often is comfortable I know you've talked about the kind of little things like checking your phone and maybe being on your phone a bit much. Do you feel guilty about any of the big things like work? I hear this a lot, like so many mums saying, I feel guilty that I've got young kids and I work. Do you feel guilty about that? It's something I'm often having to chat through with myself because my work gives me so much. So if it's giving me so much in a good way and I'm checking myself with how much it's feeding my sense of worth, we are not what we do even though we so easily slip into that and I do often but if it's giving me life and if I'm using my gifts and my passions and I'm I'm alive in that it's going to benefit them it's just where my boundaries are and that's often where the guilt lies is am I working too much am I merging it in with home life yes am I working too much quite often Mm. am I escaping to work yes quite often and that for me is where I need to do the work for many years, I felt guilt around my challenges with mental health. I found guilt around my postnatal depression, my anxiety postnatally. But then I'm like, well, my middle child, he had silent reflux. I was getting 45 minutes sleep a night sometimes. No wonder I couldn't access my normal coping mechanisms. All my perfectionism and my not enoughness meant that it was very hard for me to seek and accept support. But I worked through that and, and now they are living in the legacy of the vulnerability that I had to find in that place and they will they're going to live in that legacy of the hardest time there's one moment I have so much guilt and shame around and I've had to use that act technique so when Charlie my middle child he was then my youngest he 
you just didn't see. It was horrendous. And I remember I was potty training Oscar and he was, you know, kind of three. I can't even remember. I can't do the maths. And we were in this toilet in a church hall where we'd been to a playgroup and he pooed his pants. And it was the cherry on top of the very ugly cake. And I lost, I lost it. You know, those moments I literally wanted to throw him. I was in so much turmoil and pain and that total lack of control over my emotions. I had no, I just couldn't. I had nothing left. And I screamed at him. And even now, he remembers that moment. And he says, Mummy, I remember that toilet because you scared me. I scared him. I scared myself. And for so long, I've held this absolute kind of guilt and shame about that moment. You know, and I've done that act process. What's going on there? I felt shame for not being who he needed me to be. I didn't provide him with the patience and the support. That unconditional love that he absolutely would not have felt in that moment. Because kids, they go by what they're feeling at that moment, don't they? They go by your response in that moment. We know we love them. They might not feel loved. He did not feel loved. And I shame myself for that. And then I have to bring compassion in. And this is the missing link for so many of us. Compassion. I deserve compassion in that moment. I was broken. I was scared. I had nothing left. I was exhausted. I was trying to appear okay because I was terrified as to what might happen if I told someone that I wasn't. I thought I might fall apart once and for all. My husband was working incredibly long hours in London. I felt alone. Even though I wasn't, I didn't feel worthy of accepting that support. So bringing compassion into that has been so important. And then to tweak it, what did I do off the back of that? I started engaging in hand-in-hand parenting. That moment was a turning point for me to try and find techniques and skills and insight and to read things that would help me to get help, get support. And, you know, instead of constantly shaming myself for that, I have to keep, and sometimes we feel it, don't we? Sometimes we're reminded of that moment and that guilt, that shame, it just hits us all over again. And sometimes it's a repeating. It's a keep letting yourself off that hook, keep bringing compassion into it. I think it's so interesting. You know, this has been my experience that all the big transformations, changes, tweaks in my life have been through pain. I've been through moments where I'm like a big rock bottom and then mini rock bottoms. Yeah, it's like something's got to change. And I think now after a lot of work like you, you know, I've got gratitude for those moments, even though they were unbelievably hard and I could choose to feel a lot of shame about them. I can now see how they help me, as you say, they help me dismantle what was happening to me and know that I couldn't carry on down that track. I had to change. If we think about valleys, you know, it's that fertile soil in the valleys where the flowers grow, like where the grass is green, the mountain tops. There's not much growth there. It's great and the view is incredible. And we can revel in the wonder of what we see. But ultimately, it's further down the mountains or there's that growth. Mm, It seems to be like a kind of unfortunate construct of the human experience that pain is our greatest teacher. Yeah, but there's always going to be pain, you know, in varying degrees and it's the uncertainties and the things that we walk through and we're stronger than we think we are if we look at what we've come through and how we've learned from it. But there's always choice in it, I think. But yeah, you're right. But those mountaintop experiences, man, enjoy them, enjoy them. I had someone messaging me the other day and said, I feel really guilty for enjoying this time of lockdown. I was like, you have had your fair share of trauma. You have had your fair share of challenge. Revel in this enjoyment. Enjoy it, yeah. You deserve the, the elements of this that you enjoy. And I think we can even shame ourselves for the good emotions, for enjoying things, for not 
pulling out, you know, I think often we gratitude our way out of bad emotions and then we show ourselves when we do feel bad, when we do feel good and when we are enjoying something because well, so-and-so has it harder. Yeah, sometimes you are that so-and-so, sometimes you are that one that has it harder, but for now, enjoy. Mm, or waiting like a big thing for me was I would experience like a good day or a good week and I'd wait when's the bad thing gonna come and then I couldn't enjoy it because I wasn't present with the good feeling so I never felt good even when I felt good <laughs> it's the bracing yourself isn't it and I think yeah. that so often anxiety it's like if I brace myself I will weather the next storm better but better, actually yeah. you know when you're bracing yourself even physically we're more brittle so it's the hard things. It's the, I don't know, I'm just thinking of toffee. It's so brittle, but it just takes one thing and it shatters. You know, when we are flexible and when we are relaxed into a situation, whatever comes along, we're less likely to be so defended against it that we can mm. move through it and with a bit more compassion, a bit more ease, maybe. Your analogies are like unreal. Do you just come up with these? Or <laughs> But you just my, honestly, like my the best God. analogy for like every feeling and experience. I'm like, yes, it's like the brittle toffee. Do right, you, these just, just come brain. to you? Do these yeah, just come my, to you? It's my language. That's just my brain. Oh, I'll tell you what, though. I've got a very creative brain. It doesn't stop thinking, but I am terrible at things like maths and logic. Oh, my goodness. And even the ages of my kids and the birthdays of my kids. I genuinely have to put my kids' birthdays in my diary. And I am that person at the gym. Well, you have got three to remember. I mean, I don't even know my husband's birthday, but do you know what I mean? That's just how it works. But it, <laughs> other areas are a bit taken from because of that. But whatever, I'm pleased with that. <laughs> I for one am very grateful for your beautifully creative mind. You know the last question because I've asked it to you before. But if you could give just one gift right now in lockdown to all the mums in the world what would that one gift be I would want to raise their bar for what they have been accepting of their own peace I'd want to say your anxiety your sense of low self-worth your that feeling of just being at the end of yourself do not accept that as okay there is more for you than that there is more for you than that you deserve to live life not to the background buzz of anxiety and fear and that is possible just because it's common it does not need to be your normal so I'd raise that bar for them that is the one bar I would raise (laughs) oh so beautiful I love chatting to you thank you for coming on and congratulations again and everyone if you haven't bought Anna's book yet what you're doing mind over mother it's brilliant it's full of all those wonderful analogies to explain how we're feeling makes sense of it in such a kind way so congratulations again on the book and I'll be reading it probably on a monthly basis (laughs) to remind me of all your wisdom thank you thank you so much for having me so that's it thank you for listening to the episode I hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on iTunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on Instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so 
If that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.